Um, today we're going to just spend a little while uh, before we resume uh, our expressions of worship to God, uh, thinking uh, a few thoughts from this passage. And it's not easy preaching from Peter because unlike Paul, who sort of is this very linear thinker and he develops an argument, Peter in his own way is a little bit more scattered. So you, you can't just go verse by verse and develop it. So I'm just going to pluck out some ideas that are in this passage, but it would be very good if you had the text in front of you. So, uh, so look it up. 1 Peter 1, you've all got smartphones. You're itching for an excuse to use them. And the great thing about this is if you get bored, then it still looks like you're studying the Bible while you're surfing the net. Uh, and um, so 1 Peter 1 verses 3 to 9 and the first two words are praise be and uh, it goes on that that praise is addressed to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and I just want us to pause before we go any further and I wonder if you could if you could just say one thing this Easter that you are very grateful to God for I wonder what would spring to your mind there's no particular right answer this isn't a theological quiz what would be first and foremost coming to your mind that you're grateful for? Anyone willing to shout something out? New beginnings. New beginnings, great. His love, for us. His love. good. Family. Family. Salvation. Salvation. That was excellent answer from the text here. Well done, good job. Any more? Ten years of marriage. A miracle. No, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean that. <laughs> uh, any, any more? Grace, God's unrelenting forgiveness and kindness to us. Yeah. Victory. Freedom, did I hear freedom? Yeah. I hope you've all got something. This evening, I mean, no matter how difficult it gets, and this passage does address the question of suffering, there is so much that we should be grateful for. And I, 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 I'll say this, gratitude is the mark of a good human being, and gratitude is the mark of a healthy human being. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here's some of the things that Peter sort of just spouts out, that he's grateful to God for in this passage. Next slide, please. And the first one, David Culpers obviously knew my sermon before I did, salvation. He saved us. This actually comes right at the end of the passage, the salvation of your souls. By nature, we are sinners. I wonder if you really have grasped that. If you haven't, you're definitely not a Christian. Because that's the first realization, the, the very first thing the Spirit, Holy Spirit is going to come and reveal to you is your shortcomings before God. And... Um, Yet the Bible teaches it was when we were God's enemies, when we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. With all our shortcomings and all our mess, all our arrogance, 
God looks upon human beings and he doesn't ever pull his punches. He doesn't ever let us get away with stuff. He calls it as it is, but he says, I nevertheless always see you as potential. And in Jesus, at great cost to himself, he has saved us. If you'll only reach out in faith and grip his hand, he will lift you from drowning in the mess that you'll get into without him. I remember when I was only a, a young lad, there was this guy who used to come and preach. I remember in, in this Pentecost church I was in, I remember he was massively overweight. I don't know how much he weighed. He was really, really big. He was very, very tall and enormous. And the rumour that went round the church is that he stayed with the family and he broke their bed when he slept on it. Anyway, that seemed all very interesting to me when I was a wee boy. Uh, but whenever he preached, this great giant of a man, whenever he started talking about Jesus, he would start to cry. And I remember my mum saying something that always stuck in my mind. She said, he's never lost the joy of his salvation. And one of the problems in the contemporary Western churches, we're stuffed full of people who lost the joy of their salvation years ago. There aren't enough songs we could sing to thank Jesus. And when we actually see him face to face and we understand the depth to which he had to go to to save us, it will be much easier for us. But may the Spirit renew in me, like David said in his prayer of repentance, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Much of the trouble in our lives and much of the trouble in the church is because we have lost that sense, that, um, that sense of bewilderment and amazement before the cross. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Well, Peter hadn't, and he wrote this towards the end of his life. And as we'll see, he gets a good deal more emotional about it. Secondly, we, he praises God for his inheritance. Verse 4, you have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Next slide, please. This is helpful because it gives you some synonyms for a big inheritance. You could say it's a huge inheritance, a large inheritance, a massive inheritance, or a sizable inheritance that God is keeping in store for you. You don't deserve it, but you get it anyway. You share the inheritance that Christ receives. Not only do you get forgiveness at the cross, if you will repent of your sin and be honest about who you are and humble yourself, not only do you get forgiveness, not only do you get to escape into heaven by the skin of your teeth, you get an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. And it's being kept in heaven for you right now. My dad died eight years ago. He is enjoying his inheritance. I believe he's with the Lord now. I miss him, but I rejoice in the knowledge that he's having a far better time than I am. Some of you, as I look out, have lost loved ones. Some of you recently. Christian people, followers of Jesus, they have an inheritance that can never be taken away. And it's worth having. Um, could you skip on two slides, please, if possible? And furthermore, we're told that um, 
that this inheritance, your inheritance that God's lining up for you, if you have truly come to him, it's shielded. You, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a, an old hymn that talks about the contrast between people who've already gone to be with the Lord and us. And it says, more happy, they are more happy, but not more secure. Doesn't matter how strongly you manage to grip God, once he's gripped you, that grip is final. He doesn't let go. We sing something to that effect, don't we? Oh no, you never let go. You can take what detours you like. And many of us are good at taking spiritual detours. But God has shielded this inheritance for you. You reach out to him, once he's gripped you, that grip is final. Despite all our shortcomings. And all of this, Peter uses emotional language. So, in verse 6, perhaps we go just back one slide now. In all this, he says, you greatly rejoice. And then at the end uh, of the passage, he says, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Hmm. Well, I've hung around church services all my life. Some people seem joyful, quite a lot don't. I remember being in a church, I won't name this denomination because I don't want to pick on them, uh, one Christmas, not so many years ago, and they had, um, they had a choir. Uh, the, this choir, I mean, it was cold in the church and they were making it actually colder just by their, their general demeanour, okay? It was, it, was like, it was like frostiness was coming off them. And they sang a song about joy. Naomi was there. Can you remember what the song was, Naomi? I can't, but I vividly remember these folks singing a song about joy with this expression. I mean, it was just, you know, it was ridiculous. And uh, a number of people around the congregation were struggling. Well, they were laughing. It was almost uh, embarrassing, really. Um, now, it seems to me, some of us, I don't know if this is helpful at all, and if it's not, this is, this is my reflection, right, on my experience of church life. It might be helpful, it might, it might not be. If it isn't, just discard it. It seems to me that some of us, by nature, are sort of spiritually introvert. And I think I put myself in this category broadly. When I feel like I'm, 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 I'm close to God in a service, my inclination is to sit down, shut my eyes, bow my head, and just reflect quietly. That's my inclination. And I'm mystified by people who are different, who, when they feel touched by God, want to start doing things like shouting. And, and of course, our culture in this church, Baptisty a bit, you know, we can be a bit reserved. So that kind of... So I think there's quite a lot of people in this church who are more spiritual extrovert. And I'm not saying necessarily... I mean, he's getting some serious air there, isn't he? Uh, I'm not saying necessarily you'd want to do that. But actually... It is right, as Peter says here, that there is an emotional response to all of this. And actually, if there's no emotional response, well, there could be all sorts of reasons for that. We could be a bit unwell, we could have had a bad week, we could be exhausted, 
There's a lot of things in contemporary life, actually, that conspire against us feeling joy. But actually, the normal condition of the Christian is to be responding emotionally to God, however that looks for you. One of the worst things you can do in church is essentially say to people, there's one way to react, and if you're not reacting like that, you're not kind of doing it properly. That's cruel and manipulative. People are different, and they respond to God differently. Having said that, I think sometimes God enjoys taking us out of what is normal for us. So the whole thing's a confusing picture. But I ask you, inexpressible joy, glorious joy, in all this you greatly rejoice. May God fill us with the joy of our salvation. May it not be true of us that we're taking salvation for granted. Having said that, Peter's a realist and he realises that people suffer. He says, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Next slide, please. Um, And you don't have to be a pastor for very long. You don't have to be, I mean, some of you are in other kind of caring profession, doctors and nurses and so on. You don't have to, you don't have to be in these, this kind of environment for long before you realise life is very difficult for lots of people. And life is difficult for everyone, at least some of the time. And uh, once again, the danger is that in preaching on joy, people who are struggling get left feeling they're in a spiritually abnormal condition. But you notice what Peter says, and it's the theme right through the New Testament, not that you rejoice until you suffer and then you have to kind of tough it out until you get out the other side. On the contrary, he says, in all this, you greatly rejoice, even though for a while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So joy and grief are not mutually exclusive. It is possible at one and the same time to be going through a very difficult time, but also have a sense of God's love for you that sustains you through it, and for which you're profoundly grateful. But make no mistake, even if it's not true of you this evening, you will suffer. That is life. You cannot avoid it. And if you are suffering, bereavement, financial difficulty, family problems, work problems, anxiety or depression, Uh, the list goes on and on. Know this, that God sees your suffering and in this passage, the New Testament gives many reasons why people suffer, but Peter gives us one of the reasons and that is this, that suffering has a refining process, has a refining effect. Next slide, please. He talks about a comparison with gold, and he says you're worth even more than gold, because gold is refined by fire, but ultimately even gold perishes. But you will never perish if you are in the hands of the Lord Jesus. And all the devil can throw at you in terms of suffering, in the end, if you're walking with Jesus... It can refine you until you are spiritual gold. And all of that will result, he says, in praise and glory when Jesus is revealed. Do you remember what Satan said to God about Job? 
who knows their Bible really well. Because God's showing off about Job. He says, look at Job, isn't he great? Follows me all the time. You know what Satan's accusation is. He's only, it's cupboard love. He's only in it for what he gets out of it. And God says, no, even if you took everything away from Job, he'd still be faithful. And in the end, God wins his bet. Job stays faithful to God, even through the fire. And his testimony is worth ten times more at the end than it is at the beginning. Because to stay faithful to God in the midst of suffering, well, it will refine your character. The great thing about suffering is that if there are points in your character, and there are, where you are childish, immature, sinful, selfish, you name it, suffering, at least if we respond to it in the right way, has the ability to knock all that off and remind you what is really important in life. All right. Finally, I just want to, to think for a minute or two about, uh, go on reflecting, uh, come back again to this idea of loving Jesus and praising and worshipping him. One of my favourite verses in the Bible is verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I, um, from time to time, I wonder what Jesus looks like. And when we meet him, what he'll look like. In the films, whenever you're looking for an image of Jesus to show on the screen like this, they always, generally... They always have long hair, which I think is wrong. Jesus probably had short hair. That would have been the culture of the day. Um, more often than not Caucasian, which Jesus wasn't. And um, good-looking, normally. Despite the fact the Bible clearly says there was nothing in his appearance to draw us to him. And they constantly sort of present him as sort of... Um, sort of occasionally sort of glory, divine glory breaking out from his face and his features. And, and I just don't think it was like that. The glory of Jesus is not because he's sort of got an internal light bulb. It's not like, when, I was going to say ready brick, that would just age me. But you know some of you, you remember the old ready brick advert, some of you. It's not like that, I think, from the way the Bible presents it. He's ordinary to look at. The glory is somewhere else. It's in his character. It's in his overwhelming love and self-discipline and courage. I wonder what it will actually be like when we see him face to face. I mean, it obviously won't be disappointing. But when you think about him, you think about the stories of who he was and the things he did. When I think about the way he engaged with the woman caught in adultery... or the man whose daughter had died. Or you, you think about your favourite stories of his amazing dignity and grace. When I think about him going to the cross with all the courage that I took, and I think about him being raised from the dead and tenderly speaking to his followers, his patience, I love him. I haven't seen him yet. But I love Jesus. 
This is a, a figure from history I love. But more than that, at times I feel his presence in my heart. You haven't seen Jesus either. I hope you love him as the Holy Spirit unveils him to you as you read the scriptures. I hope he's got that place in your heart that isn't just respect and awe, but is also deep love. Where else are you going to go to find a person you can entrust yourself to like Jesus? And so we're to worship Jesus. We're to praise him. It seems to me as I grow older, when I was a bit younger, I was full of ambition for what I was going to do for God. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. That, that's all good. Uh, particularly when you're young, you should be, if you're a Christian, be full of, what else are you going to be full of ambition for? You know, for those of you who are under 25, let me tell you this. You can learn from my mistakes or you can learn from your own. Either way, you'll learn. Life is empty without Jesus Christ. What are you hoping for outside of him? Without Jesus, you will find your life is a long journey in recognising that he was right all along and that you're a selfish so-and-so. If you put your hand in his, he can make of you something far greater than you will be under your own steam. And it seems to me as I've grown older and, and um, you know, I've been counting, I think I've got about a thousand sermons left in me if my health you know, and uh, you know, at some point you realise you're not going to be the greatest preacher ever. You're not going to be the greatest at anything very much. And you realise actually the safest space is when you're just worshipping God. And stopping trying to strive to become something you're not and simply resting in his grace. Dear Jesus, we love you. We've read about you, we've heard testimony of you, and we've seen you at work in our lives. We've seen the way that you can change us and grow us. We've seen the way you've planted hope in our lives, hope even in the face of death. You've saved us through your death and your resurrection. We can't imagine what you went through. But as we read these stories about you in the New Testament, we want to say to you we love you and that you are welcome in our lives. And we want to learn everything we can from you. We want to grow in you. And most of all, we want to express our worship to your Father that you've introduced us to. Holy Spirit, please come. And in these closing moments, as we worship together, Kindle in us, rekindle in us joy in salvation. And I particularly pray for anyone, maybe a young person here this evening who doesn't know you. Uh, and, and perhaps is labouring under the idea that they're going to make a good life for themselves. Perhaps you've given them a strong spirit, Lord, and they have so far just used that strong spirit destructively. My prayer is, Lord, that each one of us would humble ourselves before you and would know something of that inexpressible joy that comes from Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.